Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 436. Wow, that's a lot of podcasts. It really is. Someday we'll get to 500. Someday, pretty soon. Someday by January. I wonder if it's going to coincide with our actual actual four-year anniversary. Well, I just think every year we should have Tom on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't we check I don't, in with him every year. I that that is totally fine. <laughs> See with what me. Senior Arbolito's been up to. One day we'll do like a clip pick. Remember, we'll pretend we're trapped in an elevator. Remember the time <laughs> we had this person on, Chris? Why is there a pregnant lady in this elevator? I don't know. It's a device to <laughs> get us in and out of the storyline, so people are invested in the wraparound. If story. you want to watch the best elevator trapped uh, episode, it would be Night Court. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah, it was a real good one. Well, let's talk about uh, At Midnight. We have uh, a one more week of shows on we At Midnight. Sure do. Following the Colbert Report every night Tune at midnight. Tune in tonight. Kurt Bronner, uh, Grace Helbig, and... And guess who else? I can't guess. Who is it? At Hodgman. Oh, my God. John Hodgman. John how, Hodgman. How could I remotely forget John Hodgman? Yeah, that's He's right. going to be a delight. What Monday, a, November 11th. John Hodgman. What a show. Uh, Kurt Bronner, Grace Helbig. And then... Uh, Tomorrow is Dave Keckner, Nikki Glazer, Judd Apatow. Then uh, the next day is Neil Brennan, Andy Osho, David Spade. How and then the last the last episode of this one? first run is Paul Shear, Tom Lennon, and Doug Benson. I love that you said this first run. <laughs> 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 I don't know anything yet, but I just know that the show's doing pretty well. It's a great show. It's so, a lot of fun you know. to work on, and i uh, just like to thank uh, you and... The other 12 EPs. I think the Academy. Yeah, I don't know. If the show doesn't come back, I'm, I'm happy with what we did. Uh, but it's been going well, so who knows? Hopefully we'll know, we'll know soon. Yeah. But uh, thanks if you've been watching it. And, uh, you know, uh, tune in this, this, this week. Meltdown is printing the shirts that I'm getting the writers. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'd like to thank for sponsoring this episode of the Nurse Podcast, Stamps.com. Oh, boy. <laughs> Stamps.com. Please right. enter the Hashtag promo code WTF. <laughs> Don't. What? You we can. I mean, you could do that, right? I mean, or you could enter the promo code Nerdist. It's up to you guys. Vote with your keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the post office. Print the postage you need directly from your uh, own computer. It's really easy to do that, too. That's right. I mean, I'd have to buy a printer first. But if you had a printer, it'd be yeah. really easy. Then you could weigh it. They're going to send you a scale. You can weigh it, uh, and then you can print it the exact postage you need. It makes all your eBaying so much easier. Right now, using the promo code WNerdistTF. WNerdistTF isn't going to get you anything. Okay, so Nerdist or WTF, everybody, WTF. There's a no-risk trial. 
plus $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. $55? That'll take a while to go through. That's more than half of $100. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in WTF. Nerdist. Oh, so close. Stamps.com into the promo code Nerdist. Nerdist. Uh, <laughs> guys. All right. So this episode is Aziz Ansari, who you were writing, so you weren't I was. able to go. I actually you... walked by Aziz with my lunch plate. You just had a little bit for lunch. Yeah. Joan was off doing shows all over the country. So this was just Aziz and I sat down. I don't think I've ever actually just sat down and talked with Aziz one-on-one. And it's funny that where you think like, oh, I know this person or I know that comic or I, you know, because we're so familiar with being around yeah. people and hanging out. But we, but then you realize like, oh, I actually don't because I really have never just sat down and had an in-depth conversation with them. Uh, and this is a good one. Actually, Kyle was... Uh, because we talked a lot about stand-up, and Kyle was just taking all these notes about like stand-up and writing. And but were they notes for you, or were they notes for him? It, they were notes for him. Well, then he's not doing his job. Shit, you're right. Let's fire him. <gasps> he's not even here to protect himself. That's too bad. Uh, too bad. Someone will let him know. We'll leave a red tag in I his I also locker. love that, the, that he takes notes of something that is recorded and preserved for all time. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to go back and listen to every episode. Cause no, no, no. I'm talking about his own personal notes. Oh, right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. So that he can just always have the cheat notes. But that's what people do sometimes. Yeah, all right. Aziz has a new comedy special that's called Buried Alive. You know it's you available on Netflix. Yeah. It's on the Netflix. Netflix. You can't go rent that at Blockbuster. Not now, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It's exclusive to Netflix. That's cool. Yeah, you got cock blockbustered. Yep. By, okay, by I'll, let that, I'll let that go. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Your Honor. So here we go, the Nerds Podcast number 436 with Aziz Ansari. WTF. Now entering Nerdist.com. That piece for afterwards. Are those so. soul by ludicrous headphones? Don't tell Luda. I really feel like I, I feel like I could see some Aziz uh, headcans <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I'm at, yeah, I tweeted that once and I was disappointed. I haven't been approached about uh, starting my own headphone line. I mean, it is pretty genius that. You know, if you're if you're 50 Cent or you're one of these guys where you could just go, I'll just I'll just make a product and then I'll just tweet about it and it it, it is guaranteed to make millions of dollars. So so smart. Have you, have you heard the story of how um, they came up with Beats by Dre? Uh, there, the story is that Dr. Dre was walking on a uh, on a beach with uh, and he ran into Jimmy Iovine. The I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And when but there was, was only one set of footprints, that's where Jimmy was carrying him. Uh, wait, what? Oh, sorry, that's an old Christian. Uh, <laughs> that's an old. <laughs> if you grew up in the south of the Midwest, every family has the footprints parable in their kitchen, where it's like. I had a dream, and Jesus was in the dream, and there was only one set of footprints. And I was like, Lord, why did you abandon me? And Jesus said, those one set of footprints is where I was carrying you. Oh, it's supposed to be a, yeah. So, I just well, indoctrinate what? you a little bit to Christian culture, and uh, there you go. So, I'm sorry I interrupted your story it wasn't with, the, that the, scenario. with the footprints parable. Different scenario. <laughs> so, yeah, he runs into Jimmy Iovine, who was like this record exec that, like, he was like the guy that was like, put rap music videos on MTV, like, play him after Guns N' Roses, like a big innovator guy, whatever. So he, Dr. Dre runs into him and says, uh, oh, man, my, my business manager's saying I got to make sneakers. And then uh, Jimmy Oven says, no, nah, you're not going to do sneakers. We're going to make speakers. 
And then they did Beats by Dre, and it was like the most profitable thing of all time. Oh, how did the sneaker business do? They never did the sneakers. They never did the sneakers. They did the Beats, and it, and it did quite well. Sneaks by Dre would be pretty cool, though. <laughs> but I guess if you're making a killing in the in the headphone market, I tried some. I tried the in ear ones, but um, I have. Uh, I don't want anyone to get too turned on, but I have small, tight ear holes, and, uh, and so ear, like the in-ear earbuds do. Like I can, the, the Apple ones fit fine. Like, but the ones that actually just like go in your ear holes, they will not. They do. You gotta not. get. The, you gotta get the right brand. There's, there's a. I got one. I get those because when I'm running around doing stand-up spots, sometimes I'll listen to uh, sets. You know, I record the sets, and like if I improvise something, I'll go back and listen to it. Yeah, I know. I should listen to mine back, and I never do. It's smart <laughs> that you do that. I record them all, and I never listen to them. So I got earbuds for that, and then I just like looked up, like, oh, what are the comfy earbuds? Because the Apple ones hurt my ears. They don't fit in. My ears are weird shape or something. There's a couple companies that will actually take moldings of your ears and then create ones that fit specifically to your I'll ears. I'll just lose those right away, though. <laughs> I would lose those, too. I went through, like... It was, like, $600. Yeah, I went through, like, four of those, those the earbuds that I like. I keep losing them. I, uh, I should just I, mention them here, and then they'll just they'll just send a bunch free, right? I just have to. Clip-sh, that's exactly what happens. Clip-sh, that's, all, that's all you have. Clips, clips, semi pre headphones. Sound in there. I think you might have to edit that out. I think, did someone bring a? I think you need to turn your phone off or something. There's this weird clips sound. Is it clipsing when you're uh, on the Zoom? It's really hard to find the clips. Come on, Katie. Uh, why would I have to look right at Katie when I said that too? That just made that joke worse. <laughs> no, but seriously, where is it? It's seriously hard to find. Um, uh, welcome to the podcast, finally. I'm so, you know, I, I feel like so many of my friends that I have on after it's been a long time, I'm always going, I'm really sorry that I haven't had you on sooner, but a lot of it's been both of our schedules. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're as busy as I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think we texted about me coming back a while ago, and then when I was running around doing all this stuff for uh, the Buried Alive special, I was like, oh, let's, let's, do, let's do this now, because you know, normally you don't get to have like, a nice conversation with someone, and that's what's kind of refreshing about broadcasts, is to actually have a conversation, have a long talk. It, it's a, a nice breather from you know, kind of mundane interviews and stuff. So these. <laughs> oh, no. Is that was Indian? Is that right? It don't sound it. I don't know. It says I'm Indian. What? Uh, what? You'd be surprised. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I know how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. You tour. You've done radio. I'm sure. Radio. I'm sure you Sometimes have whatever. I'm sure you have your version of singled out. Maybe it's maybe it's your heritage, <laughs> yeah. or maybe I don't know. Who knows what it yeah, is? Yeah. Everyone has it. Yeah. Everyone's Everyone has a thing, thing they don't want to get talked about. What's yeah. the, what is your thing? I don't know. I guess eventually you just get asked the same same question, and it's you can't blame them, but it just seems a little old to just keep getting asked. Like, oh, was it like the first time you did stand up, or right. you know, all the comic the comics get the same comic questions. You know, what made you decide to do it? You know, it, <laughs> it's just better to have like a normal conversation. So, what made you decide to do? Oh. I saw the fr- I. Uh, I started watching your special on Netflix the other night, oh, and then uh, got an email of like, "We need you to approve this thing," and it pulled me away. So I saw the first ten minutes of the special, which oh, looks gorgeous, by the oh, way. Oh, thanks! It's so beautifully shot. Yeah, I got. I mean, in addition to being a funny comedy special, it's actually it, it looks like a film. Yeah, we. I, I really wanted to make it look filmic and look different from the other specials, and not just look like the normal cable specials because all those cable specials. They're shot the same way, and they all look the same. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to get some guys that have never shot these things before. So I got these two guys, 
Dylan and uh, and and Will who who shot this uh, LCD sound system documentary called oh, Shut I Up s- and the Play the Hits. I saw that. I yeah. saw that, and it fucking flipped me out when all of a sudden Reggie Watts is right there. I know, crazy, right? Yeah. But I thought that footage looked great, and uh, so I met with those guys, and they're really into it. And we watched like all these older specials, you know, like um, the old like Richard Pryor specials and yep. stuff. Like you know, in the beginning of the special, I walked through the crowd instead of coming out from the back. Yeah. Like we watched like Richard Pryor Sunset Live at the Sunset Strip, and we saw that that's what they did, and it was kind of cool. So like, oh, let's do that. That'll be cool. And so they shot that really cool. And you know, we put a lot of thought into like what the stage would look like and the curtain and stuff. Uh, like Buried Alive, the poster had this kind of uh, theme of an old magician poster. I like that artwork, the old magician posters. Mm-hmm. And there was a really famous one by this magician named Thurston. And so I kind of copied that look for the Buried Alive poster. So this theme of like old magicians and, and things like that was involved. And so we looked at the stage and, and thought about like what like an old theater that an old magician back in the day would have performed in. And I watched like the Prestige, the Christopher Nolan yes, movie. Yes, of course. And that's where I got the idea for those. There's like these like bulbs in the front of the stage. That's where we got that idea. And then the type of curtain we used, we like put a lot of thought into everything to really make it look cool. You know, it's funny is you're explaining all that, and I and I really do fully understand all that. Of like you really do try when you're making a special, you want everything to have sort of. But most people wouldn't. I mean, I think on some unconscious level, they might understand. They might feel that it. They sense that there is a there is a consistent thing happening, even if they don't go. I bet. I wonder if he planned to put all those there, and then specifically that curtain. They just, you know, I don't. I don't think. I don't think most people really appreciate the detail that can go into something like that. Yeah, I mean, most people, you know, the first two specials I did, I didn't really think about it that much, but this was my third one. So I'd, I'd had experience with the second one. I was in the editing room and stuff, and I was thinking about, like, oh, what angle should we get for this one? And I just had the experience to be like, oh, for this one, I want to really put thought into everything and make it, like, exactly what I want. And uh, so it was really just the experience of doing the other two that kind of helped me um, make this one when better. What was the last one? The last one wasn't, it feels like the last one wasn't that long ago. I was like, uh, last year like april of last Jesus year christ yeah yeah because i remember mine um i think mine premiered after a rerun of yours and uh, yeah and the juxtaposition of our suits because you had like a, a dark like a bronzy like a, you had a shiny bronzy suit on my suit's like oh the, that's intimate moments the one the dangerously delicious one have like a gray suit with like a black shawl color. Oh, okay maybe yeah. okay that maybe that's what it was because then i wore because <clears throat> the thought that i put into mine was that mine was called mandroid and so i wanted to be like loosely Robotic and sort yeah, of yeah, Kubrickian yeah. or whatever. So I I had this suit made that looked like a sh- like a sharkskin suit, but it was supposed to be like somewhat robotic. Oh, cool! And so we had it was like someone pointed out was like shiny suit, shiny suit back to back. I'm like, oh, Aziz, Aziz got his <laughs> shiny suit first. Um, but uh, uh, I, that is an amazing turnaround time between last April and having another special already. Yeah, um, you know, I just really love doing stand up, and I kind of made a decision. Uh, at a certain point. So when we do Parks and Rec, we have a hiatus in between the seasons. And that's the time you can go and do movies or whatever. Uh, and when I had the hiatus this time, all the movie stuff that came my way, it was nothing super interesting to me. you know. And when you do a movie, you end up having to go live in this other city where they're shooting it, be it in Michigan or New Mexico or Louisiana, wherever, and you're there for months then the movie comes out, you have to promote it everywhere, you have to go on talk shows, talk about it nonstop. So it's a lot of work. And if it's not something you're very, very excited about, <laughs> it's, 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 why waste your time doing it? So 
there was no movie that I was really excited about, so I was like, I'm just going to go hard and do stand-up. And so I wrote, like, another hour, the one uh, I've written the fourth hour that I'm going to tour next year. And I guess, it, like, the reason I've been putting them out so fast is just because I, I just find so much more fulfill- fulfillment from doing stand-up rather than doing, you know, a bit part in some movie that I'm not that into or, you know, whatever. Do you ever think you get to a point where you're like, nah, I, mean, I don't know if I feel like doing that movie. I just always think of myself as a kid. If someone's like, hey, we want to do this movie, I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah, I, no, movies are fun, but... I don't think they're fun. If, if, if you're in a movie you really care about and that you have, or a movie that you were involved in, I think that's a different thing. Sure. But if you're doing a movie just to do a movie, it's kind of it's kind of unnecessary to me because I, I feel like I get so much out of doing stand-up. And to me, stand-up's the only thing I get to do that's really my voice and my thoughts on things. And eventually, I think, you know, I'll do, uh, after Parks or whatever, I'll do my own TV show or I'll do, like, a movie that has my voice the same way my stand-up does. But at the moment, it's so much easier to just go and do a tour rather than trying to, like, put together a movie or something, which is, like, the slowest. I've tried to put together movies and stuff, and it gets very tedious because you end up you write this script and then you go through all these drafts and stuff and by the time it's in a place where you could maybe try to make it you're like i'm not even the same person that wrote this movie like i don't even know if i believe in this stuff yeah, anymore yeah. you know well i think it's important i think it's very important culturally for guys like you and danny pudi and then also i mean i know i know kamel is pakistani but guys with dark dark black hair d- d- guys with dark black hair but i think it's, but i think it's important when that you guys have such strong comedic voices so that it, so that the the business doesn't lazily fall back on oh you'll be an IT guy like that you'll actually get to play. I think those days are done, man. Good. I think it's done. I don't. I, I early on said like I'm not going to do that, and so I, I remember when I first started having an agent or whatever, they would send stuff like that, and then I I called them up one day and I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> so just don't even bother sending it. Tell people that's just not what I'm interested in and I'm never going to do it. So they just stopped sending it to me, and then the only things I got were, were things where, you know, it didn't depend on ethnicity for the jokes right. to work. And, and I think the biggest thing that made that change is just seeing, like for me, when I did Human Giant and, and things like that, the sketch show I did, then it's like, oh, that's how... We can use that guy. Right. You know, it's easy to tell people, like, oh, you know, but I can do this and that. And then people are like, okay, sure you can. Why don't you just be the IT guy? Right. But if you actually show them and, like, shoot shorts or whatever, then it's like, oh, I've seen him do the thing he say he can do. Well, that's, that's, that's the key is that you have to, you have to fucking show people. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. I mean, it is, it is. I was having a conversation with uh, – I was doing an interview last night, and the, the guy was saying um, – Talking about just being of this generation of performers where you have to do everything you have to do everything yourself. Yeah, and I said, yeah, well, I sort of prefer that to the old. I wouldn't. I mean, to, you imagine being in the old studio system days where they're just like, uh, you are going to do this, and we'll take care of everything. But then you you're not really driving the boat. Yeah, I kind of like I like being in the driver's seat and being able to as 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 niche. As much as our consumers have, have – we have, as consumers have become niche, we have performers have become really niche because we get to define exactly what it is that we want to do across a variety of platforms. And it's uh, – it, I can't imagine any other – having to do it any other way. Yeah, I couldn't ima- – like pitching things – like I couldn't imagine trying to pitch – you know, uh, could you imagine if I had to pitch my stand-up hour or something? Like, it would be horrible. <laughs> you know, it's much better to just be able to do it yourself and, and then put it out. And, and so when, when I put out Buried Live, I, I filmed it and shot it and paid for everything and then had it and then went to Netflix and a few other places and said, like, okay, here's what I have. Who wants to do it? And Netflix kind of came at me with the best 
you know, uh, most interesting offer. And I thought Netflix was the best fit, too, for this time. But it's great to just do things on your own and not have to, to pitch it to people or to answer to anyone and make your own thing and just be like, yeah, I know this works. Yeah. Oh, because the, oh, last, the last time you, you – that was the same thing Gaffigan did, too, was the name your own – and, of course, Louie. The you know you put it out thing. yeah the five dollars yeah. you name your own, name your own no it wasn't name your own price but you put it out yourself and yeah five dollars yeah, yeah. yeah which is great and I, did, I I'm gonna do that again with this one in a few months but I wanted to put it on Netflix first because the, the only problem with the five dollar thing is you're really preaching to the choir with that the only people that are gonna buy that are people that are already familiar with your work or already fans and right. you know I wanted I think this special is way different from my other one so I wanted people that maybe wouldn't normally buy the thing for five dollars to check it out and to give it a chance and see if they liked it and then you know in a few months i'll put it on for the five dollar thing but yeah i feel like if you're just preaching to the choir that's the one limit of the five dollar method so your work ethic must be pretty insane then if you can do you write your hour before you do it or when you before you start touring or do you do you just sort of get some ideas and then go out on the road and just see what comes out I what I do is I'll start dropping in at, at, at clubs in, in New York and L.A. to kind of work on like loose ideas and uh, slowly the material will build up. And usually it'll the process will be like, OK, I'll take an idea like in Buried Alive, let's say um, the idea just uh, of a friend that's not ready to have a baby or whatever. Uh, and seeing that person. OK, what is the joke there? So, you know, you'll go through all these different iterations and after like 20 versions you'll land on the version that works and then so that becomes like a piece that you can put away like okay that's done it's like you're, if you're making a music album it's like all right well that track is done right, right? and then when you have like 45 minutes or so what i'll do is i'll start doing the full thing at like smaller theaters like i've been doing it recently for the next hour where i'll like announce these last minute shows where it's like maybe like 100 people and i'll work on the whole thing because when you do a full show, you know, it's a much different thing. It has to have a flow and there has oh, to be... Oh, yeah, the 10-minute sets are... Um, they're useful. Yeah. But building the at a certain tracks, point, they're fucking useless. You got to make sure the whole yeah, album yeah, works, right? Yeah. So then you do the 100-seat the shows and then expand it and then you have a full hour show. Then I'll do like uh, like theaters in, in smaller cities or whatever that I didn't get to tour the last time. Like I recently did some shows in, um, in Michigan because mm-hmm. even that's different too. Performing in front of like a 2,000-seat theater is a different thing than a 100-seat theater. Yeah. And then when I feel like, okay, this is a good theater show when I have a long chunk of time and, and for this next one, um, it'll be uh, probably either in probably around March I'll I'll do a big tour and hit all the big cities and do you know just tour really hard, but wow. uh, yeah, it takes a while to kind of put it together and go through all those different phases. But oh, uh, I know it's, it's I mean, such I mean, a fun process. Yeah, it is. A, I do I do love the process too. But I just my special just came out last year and I'm already being asked to. Hey, so 2014 when you shoot another special, I'm like, I don't think I'm ready to shoot it already. Like, yeah. it just feels. It takes a while. I don't think people realize how hard it is to like <laughs> I mean, put together one of those hours. It's hard. It, it, it's it, like putting out. Like no one, no one goes to like uh, Christopher Nolan right after he's made Inception. Like, all right, so <laughs> you haven't you haven't done your next movie yet. Your next movie's yet? not finished yet. yet? <laughs> well, because it's you, like making a movie. You know, like you have to make. It's. Uh, I really feel like people don't respect what uh, uh, seeing like an hour of stand-up at a, at a show how hard it is and how uh, how interesting it is to, to make a show like that it's really like a one-man play well, and it takes a long time to put together and to make something that's really good and thoughtful like it can take a long time but at least i mean even with a movie i mean some directors might feel like well it's never done 
mm-hmm. even when you finish it. I still feel like a movie really can be more done than a stand-up set can work, but if you wanted to, you could tag it out and expand it f- forever. Yeah, so you could. How you could you, keep improving it. Yeah, yeah, how do you know like when that when that I always kind of think like, oh, how do I know that I'm done with that thing? Because for me, that's the special. That's that's when you film. But even that, it's like, oh, so you do the special and then you still do some more tour dates. And then when you do those other tour dates, you might come up with like a better way to do a joke. That's like, what I, that's what happened after the special. Is that like there were a couple tags or a couple things? I'm like, God damn it, that was the way to yeah. tie that up. And it, now it's dead and it's too that's, late. That's why you got to really <laughs> tour the fuck out of it, so you're sure you you've done. Yeah, you're doing the one you're filming is the best version of it. <laughs> how many shows did you did you tape? I just taped two shows. Nice. And then I mostly just used the first one, I think, and there were a couple of shots to grab from the second one, mainly for camera stuff or whatever. But, um, yeah, I mainly just used uh, – I pretty much just used the first show. How was your I, – you I saw you doing an AMA a couple of days. Maybe it was like, oh, a, yeah. like a week ago, mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. Uh, Reddit loves you, by the way. I'm, oh. on, I'm on Reddit all the time, and I see, I see Aziz pop up on the homepage oh, cool. in various versions of whether it's like someone's memed you in some way, yeah. whether it takes something you said and, you know. Um, but uh, it, seem, it seems like you got a pretty good handle on the, on the Reddit audience, community. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're nice guys, I guess. Yeah, I have fun doing those AMAs. People ask interesting questions and stuff. It's good. Do, <laughs> was, do, you, did you, do you try to get everything or are there some you're like, nah, I'm not going to. I mean, it's impossible to get everything. There's so many questions, but, you know, there's usually enough to where there's, there's enough interesting ones to answer that it's, it's fun. I like the uh, – my favorite part about Reddit is not so much the main question and the main answer, but just watching where it goes. Just like watching – Well, it devolved. Yeah, like, just yeah. watching the evolution. <laughs> it's like that's where, I, that's, where I, that's where Reddit really shines <laughs> is the – I mean it really is a giant tag machine. Yeah. And some of the people on there are pretty funny. They're like, fucking people, great. People who write really funny like tags to the comments. It's just like a, a lot of times, yeah, I'll be on there and I'm like, fuck. This guy's funnier than I am. And I, why, he should be a comic. Why am I being? Why am I a comic? Um, uh, I also have to thank you for allowing me to treat you like my own personal Yelp oh. when, I'm, when I'm in a city. Aziz, oh, I'm happy to do that. Aziz, uh, Aziz is a bit of a food a food uh, nerd, so whenever I'm in a city, I'm like, where should I go? And then I'll just get like five restaurants. Yeah. Well, when I first started touring, there was you know pretty much anyone that tours, comedian, musician, they get into food because. That's just like a fun thing to do when you travel is to go to like the local food place or whatever. And so when I first started traveling, like I would ask, you know, older comics I knew that were into food like Patton or David Cross is really into food. And uh, I would ask them where to eat. And then eventually I became the guy people started asking. (laughs) And I had like a list that had been compiled from all these different guys, those guys, some musician friends and stuff. So I have a pretty good list, but I'm I'm, I'm happy to share. When I put out Dangerously Delicious, I put out a list of all the places that ate ate on tour. Yeah, I think you were the one that told me to go to Momofuku. Oh, in uh, New York, yeah. In New York, and then uh, Olive and Gramondo in Montreal. That place is great. It's so good. The line's fucking insane there, though. Every time it's it's like like an hour-long wait to get in, and then there's really no place to sit so you're just kind of holding this basket with a sandwich in it but but really 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 good i was in montreal i i was working on this next hour in montreal i was like oh i'll just stay in montreal for a week and uh and do uh do shows like small like 80 seat shows there's like a really small comedy club there i can't remember the name of it like the comedy attic or something but it's a really dope club but it's just like 80 seats but it was Le super petite fun. Comedy? <laughs> yeah that's what it should okay, be called yeah, right. but i stayed there for a week doing shows and uh i i went to all in garmondo pretty much every day and ate a sandwich <laughs> yeah oh uh, i should tell this story so what? when i was in montreal 
uh, I I was lucky enough to go visit the set of uh, X Men uh, first cl- the next X Men movie. Oh, Days of Future Past. Yes, which looks amazing, and uh, yeah, I got to go visit the set, and uh, you know they were filming like a pretty big scene, and and uh, someone was introducing me to the cast, and uh, Michael Fassbender was there as Magneto. And he's so nice, right? He's like, oh, what are you doing in Montreal? Like, you know, uh, how's everything going? Oh, you're stand-up? Cool, cool, cool. And the whole time he's dressed in full <laughs> Magneto garb. <laughs> so it's like, Magneto, you pussy. Get out of here. <laughs> What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be so evil. <laughs> why, are you ask, why are you giving me restaurant recommendations, Magneto? <laughs> you could bring the restaurant to you. They're, a lot of them are made of metal. Yeah. What are you fucking doing? But it was so funny talking to a super nice Magneto. It was very surreal. <laughs> well, you know, Magneto's not a bad guy. He was just... <laughs> a victim of discrimination and so you can understand why environmentally he would you know have certain you didn't tell me you weren't a mutant right because he's not a fan of, of homo sapiens um but uh, uh what else did i want to a- ask you oh the roast the roast with franco roast was great that well, was thanks that man was, that was the best roast i think that might have been the best roast i've ever seen it was really fun and uh, yeah it was cool i'd never done a roast before and I, I think a lot of us hadn't done a roast. Like, Kroll hadn't done one before. You know, Jonah, Hader, Sandberg. Pretty much everyone. There was more people that hadn't done roasts than had. The only people that had done it before were Sarah uh, Silverman and Jeff Ross, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. As everyone else was, like, uh, newbies to the roast scene. I don't know if they, uh, maybe Maybe Natasha had done one before. Natasha might have done one before. I don't think she'd done really, one Really? That was either. her first one? Yeah. Um, was it... Uh, did you practice for that? Did you do? Did you have to practice the set? I, I did because at first I was like, oh, whatever, you know, I'll do it. And then like people were like, oh man, like you know, Kroll and Natasha, and uh, they're running around doing sets. I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit, I guess I should like prep for this and really do well, you know. And so I, I went and like did some sets to work on stuff, and uh, and and uh, I was also going on towards the end, which is both an advantage and a disadvantage. The advantage is you've seen what everyone else has said, and you can kind of. Use that for your bits, right? right? The disadvantage is like all the obvious jokes have been taken. <laughs> you know, all the like the real big targets have been just destroyed. So by the time you're up near the end, like no one wants to hear, uh, you know, another joke about Jonah being fat or whatever, unless it's something like really clever. So it's pretty hard. So I tried to, you know, really work on it to have like weirder things and to also uh, use my set to kind of hit back at people for the things they did or something. Right? Did they? They were giving you. Were they? Well, they, they were sort of. They were harassing you about. Having famous friends or something? Was it uh, your friends with... Yeah, there was, there was one one or two bits about, like, uh, the Kanye stuff, which I figured would come up. And, and so my bit was like, oh, I'm getting a lot of grief for, you know, one Kanye West joke I told in a special, like, six years ago. If anyone has any jokes about um, Sarah's jokes from six years ago, please don't do them. She's still doing those bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the other thing, there was a lot of like Indian stuff. And that, it was like genuine for me. Like, just I like, love your reaction <laughs> to that. Really? <laughs> Fucking really? Because I was like, come on, guys. Like, I mean, I'm pretty much, the non-funny version of it is me saying like, Come on, like I know you guys are smart comedians. You can dig deeper than this. You're really doing these like hacky Indian jokes. You were the only non-white person on the entire panel. Yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> it was all the fucking whitest people in the yeah. It was Rogan and Franco <laughs> and Sarah and Natasha, like the fucking whitest people in the world. Yeah, I, I, I it was nice. It was nice that you got to fire back. Yeah, and it was fun because you could tell like from their reaction, they were like, 
Was everyone yes. okay after the roast, or did anyone? Everyone was fine. I mean, it's a, it's a weird situation for comics to be in because comics are such weird people, and to like sign up to do the show where everyone's gonna go after you, you know, it's a it's a weird thing. Not only go after you, it's the people going after you are some of the smartest funniest people that are capable of really hitting you hard. And you know that if you have insecurities about yourself, there is a good chance that some of those some of those battleship mines might land near you. Yeah. Well, that that's why I knew what people were going to go for. I knew like I knew there would be something about Kanye. I knew there would be something about me being Indian and uh and I knew people were going to do jokes about Franco being gay. So I had an idea of what I could come back with. How was it? Were, were you actually friends with Kanye, or did you just hang out with him a couple times? Or was it- I, met, I met him a handful of times, and uh, I did a bit about him in the, in the first special that I did. But then for some reason, people were like, oh, were you hanging out with Kanye? Well, yeah, you know, that was just like a bit that went viral, so it was like a thing that you get associated with. You know, like you said, with like Singled Out or whatever, that's something you did years ago, yeah. but it still, still comes up. But. but wasn't he he was hanging around comedy for a while, right? Kanye wasn't he trying to? Did, I think he was at one point going to do like a HBO show. Was Besser working with him? I think Matt Besser was it like was teaching okay. him and his yeah. friends like improv or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that was, that was before I'd met him, so I don't know. Maybe so that, much but. of what he's been doing is really just one big improv exercise. Perhaps, yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, my only experience with him was what the, I. That bit I did in the first special was a story about like how I first met him or whatever, and then um, yeah, I just happened to be there when they were uh, like whenever he was in town, like he would ask me to come like listen to music and stuff. Like he always likes having people like listen to what he's working on and stuff. So I just, I just that's that's pretty much it. As far do you ever tempt him to be like, oh, is that what you're going with? Like, have we ever <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's the thing. It's interesting. It's like he he really values just like everyone's opinions in a weird way. Like someone once was just like dropping like a FedEx guy was like dropping something. He's like, yo, man, listen to these two beats. Tell me which one you like more. It's, and it's just he really values the, the everyone's opinions because ultimately, I mean, even what we do with stand up, you're, you're ultimately going by the public's opinion. Is this OK? Is this OK? Yeah. yeah this and you okay? have to go with your gut and at a certain point be like, no, I think this is good. But you are ultimately, you know, focus grouping whenever you, when you, whenever you drop in and do these shows or whatever. You're focus grouping for like sixty people to see what we works. do. We do have the luxury of that. I think with co- comedians and bands have the luxury of at least trying shit out. <clears throat> but comedy, it's like a very clear like, oh, that's a huge laugh. That works great. With music, it's like I don't know if you can get that clear a gauge of like how good it is by just playing it for a group or something. Would you want to be? <clears throat> would you want? I'm kind of interested to talk about the idea of um, fame and art colliding. Sure. And how much. Like, is, is Kanye-level fame, is there anything good about it, or is it just all, like, just a weird kind of, is it detrimental? Does it work against you? I mean, I can't speak to that level of fame. My personal level of fame, I can say, uh, for me, what's cool, the coolest thing ever for me is, I remember when I first um, was doing comedy, I would go to the Comedy Cellar, this club in uh, in New York. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right um, yeah, and uh, Chris Rock dropped in, and it's dropped in to work on new stuff, and I was blown away. You know, that was like someone I'd looked up to so much. I'd never seen him live or anything, and to see him like drop in in this ADC club was awesome. And what I learned was that oh, at a certain point, they just let people like him, Seinfeld, Chappelle, just drop in whenever they want and work on stuff and they can drop in anywhere and it was like this magical thing because when you first start out as a comic you're just struggling for stage time and the <laughs> idea of like having one good show like where there's an actual crowd and everyone's laughing and paying attention if you could have one of those shows in a night it was magical so the idea of like oh 
you could just drop into the comedy cellar anytime. Like that is amazing. And to like hit that, that was that's that's almost as cool for me as like playing Carnegie Hall or something. To be able to drop in at the cellar anytime I want. They're happy to have me. Everyone goes crazy. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. That's really cool. And the uh, the downside of that, well, not even really a downside, but so if you're working on new material, when you drop in like that, people don't know you're coming, and they go crazy. They're very excited. And so the first few minutes, they're kind of like really on your side, like almost <laughs> like too sweet. And it's like, they don't you, understand you, workshopping. Yeah, you don't want it to be that, you don't want it, the audience to be that good. Even like now, like, you know, if you like the room, like the, the meltdown room that, right. that Jonah does, like the the room is so nice. They're just so excited <laughs> and so cool. But it's like, oh, well, I can't work on material when the room is this nice, you know. But that eventually goes down after a few minutes and you kind of have to hold your own and yeah. it has to be good. But those they first few minutes. It, yeah. They inspect it, they're like, yeah. for how the come fr- this guy isn't fucking funny? Yeah. yeah, the excitement goes down eventually. But you, d- you learn to deal with those kind of things, you know. Uh, so that, that's, that's how I can speak to fame as far as how it affects my stand-up stuff. I just wonder if, if, there's, a, if there's a point where it's like, yeah, you're too fame. Like, too, there's too much fame. Like, it's. I mean, I don't. Um, it, it, of course, when you're young and you think, "Oh, I want people to know who I am," because that because it's very hard in our business to to quantify um, success. I mean, I know that there are ways. Like, well, if you're getting paid a lot, I guess that must mean you're being successful. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But then, but it's because it's such a non-traditional line of work is finding the different markers and placeholders of like, oh, I, I guess I'm doing well, or I guess, and, and unfortunately, I think, you know, recognition is one, is one of those things, but I, I just don't know if it's a good thing, and it is weird. Does it freak you out ever? And these are, let me just preface this by saying, these are luxury problems, and I apologize, and I don't mean to sound like a spoiled piece of shit, but does it freak you out at all if you're just kind of hanging out in an elevator, and you go to your hotel room, and someone tweets you, they're like, hey, nice shoes in the elevator, I just saw you in the elevator, because did you ever feel like... Oh shit! I better not be picking my nose, or I like feel like I have to be on good yeah. behavior all the time. So that, that that stuff can be weird, but you know the the benefits and uh, everything far outweigh those those weird things. You know, uh, I it, it doesn't bother me that much. Uh, the, the the things that the only you just learn how to deal with them. Like for example, okay, um, if sometimes. Usually the places I drop in, like uh, like in New York or whatever, they're very strict about like no cameras in the club or whatever. But sometimes I'll drop in places and everyone pulls their camera out and they're taking photos. And it's a weird thing. And it, and it kind of throws me off when there's like flashing and stuff. And also you, as a performer, you don't want to perform for a room full of phones in your face. You want to <laughs> see people's face and have them listen to yeah. your jokes. You're there to work and, and perform. So you want people to see it. So, you know, what I do with my theater shows is in the beginning, I'll just say, all right, I understand everyone really wants photos. I'm just going to pretend like I'm doing stand-up, take, take all the photos, <laughs> and get it out of the way. Yeah, in Dangerously Delicious, I put it in the special even. You know, I just show what I do. I just pretty much just, like, pause and let everyone take a photo and then say, if you could please do me a huge favor and just put your camera away for the rest of the show, I'd really appreciate it. And everyone's really cool about it, and they just do that pretty much. Do you see, uh, do, do people take video during your sets? I, I, I tell people, I do an announcement before telling them no video and stuff, and, and I hope people understand why most comedians don't want video. It's just because when you have your material, um, 
if someone video, like, let's say, you know, I have the next hour I'm going to tour, right? And I'm dropping in and doing a show at UCB, you know, if I drop in and do a show at UCB tonight, and then someone videotapes, like, a bit that they thought was really funny, and they put it on YouTube, and then it somehow starts getting passed around virally, it kind of ruins that bit from being on the tour. Because it's right. like, oh, well, everyone's seen that. So then people go, oh, I saw all your material on YouTube. And so then it gets kind of ruined. So that's why, you know... <clears throat> Comedians are pretty protective of their material. Uh, And the way I kind of do slip out a little bit of what I'm doing is like, so last night I did, yesterday I did Conan. And so on that, I was like, oh, you know, I'll give like one bit from the new hour that I'm working on. So people have an idea of what I'm working on and see what's in my head. Because I like giving people a little snippet of it. So then they might see that and be like, oh, that sounds interesting. That might be a cool tour. So that's kind of why uh, I do it that way. And then, you know, I'm controlling how it's done and everything. It's not like someone bootlegging it, and then they may, like, cut it at a certain point or whatever. I've seen – because I've seen it happen to comics, and, you know, I'll always kind of sift through the comic the comments to see what, what people say, especially mm-hmm. if the comic reacts and goes, like, hey, don't put this up. And some people yeah. are like – we were like, fuck you, you whiny piece of shit. Whoa, what? You're upset because someone wanted to support you? And it's like, yeah. no, I know, but, yeah. you know, this person just wanted to – I mean, look, there's so many clips of, from Dangerously Delicious and Intimate Moments on YouTube, and I never have said take those down. Never yeah. have cared that people are watching that all for That's free. That's great. That's fine. I just don't want people watching the new stuff that I haven't got to film. Well, especially because you, you, know, you feel a little exposed when you're working on a new bit. And yeah, and it, it could be bad. It could not go it well. It could be bad. Some bits don't work. And then so if someone puts that on YouTube and goes, look, this guy actually fucking sucks, and then it <laughs> blows up, and then you're like, oh... No, I just yeah. no, that I wasn't. That's not an indication of the oh. Yeah, but most clubs now are pretty good about kind of keeping it so people know they're not supposed to film and stuff. Yeah, and so where are you in the process right now for the new hour? Pretty close to being done. Jesus Christ! <laughs> God damn it! I thought I was not lazy. I thought I was. But even then, I still feel like oh, maybe I should start working on the fifth one. <laughs> stop it! Stop it! <laughs> no, that's crazy. Please, you're fucking ruining. You're blowing the bell curve. You're blowing the bell curve for the class. But that to me is like, like having an hour that I'm really excited about. That's how I feel success. Not from like. Because you can fill a theater or whatever and have a show that's okay, but it's about internally knowing, like, oh, man, I think I think this one might even be better. than I think this one might be my best one, the most interesting one I've done. Do you know like, what you want Having to... that feeling is, is the fucking cool thing to have. Do you, want, do you know what you want to say before as a theme, or do you just start writing and then look at it and go, oh, I guess this is all ties together yeah, in this way? Yeah, well, I guess the only ones I've had that have this kind of thematic thing are Buried Alive and this new one. Uh, and uh, Buried Alive, it kind of started with me talking about friends having children and how crazy that was. And then I started talking about marriage. And then I started talking about, like, where do you find love? And I was like, oh, so the show is really about those three things. That's kind of the, the themes of the show. And this one, I started talking about how frustrated I was being single in this era of technology. And just started doing jokes about that. And I was like, oh, that's what this show's about. This show's about, you know, modern romance. And so when you have a show like that, kind of all the things have to kind of relate to that so if you have like a random bit about i don't know uh going to get ice cream or something that doesn't really fit in so what i've done now is i'll do that hour that's like about that theme and then in the encore maybe i'll do if i do an encore i'll do the random bits that don't fit in thematically that's what i did with buried alive too actually so in the encore i told a story about um when i got to meet the president and uh and performing at like a charity benefit um so those random stories get put did you perform for the president? It was a uh, it was like a fundraiser for the president, and um, I spoke, and then and then the president spoke. 
<laughs> she Not right for the afterward. Yeah, she I had to open for the president. Yeah, <laughs> but it was like some benefit thing where like the roots performed, I performed, and and the president then spoke. Because I, I had a friend who did magic like for the president, like for. Well, who was it? I'm into magic. Maybe Justin. I know. It was Justin Woman. Oh, I know. I, j- formerly Just Incredible. Oh, formerly Just Incredible when he was touring colleges. <laughs> yeah, he was. He went by Just Incredible, and then uh, and then. He said it was really fun, but he said that uh, you know, like the, he was like he said, yeah, the president will kind of heckle you a little bit, like he's, but he's a president, so no one's gonna be like, sir, can you keep it down, please? Like, like it's a fucking president. What are they, what are they gonna oh say? my god! Um, so in the last five years, everything is. I mean, you know, you've been doing just going up and up for the last five years. Do you get a sense of that, or do you feel that, or <clears throat> is it is is it anything that you thought it was gonna be? Are you achieving really, what you wanted? I really just. Uh, I really just operate in a very small bubble of, you know, I'm doing parks and I've continued doing that for a while. And then I've, uh, doing standup and, and standup is a very kind of, you're in a bubble. You don't really think about, oh man, these venues are getting really big. And we're like, oh man, this new special, like they're putting up posters everywhere. This is weird. You know, I'm just still in the bubble of like, oh shit. Like I hope this, I need to get this new bit in order. I'm really excited about that. I want to go drop in at this you know club and work on it so i i have like a very narrow focus and and just focus on the smaller things and then the other stuff i just assume will take care of it uh take care of itself so you don't worry about it a whole lot no i just think like who cares you know and none of that stuff matters <laughs> like I, I think like the best piece of advice like someone anyone gave me for stand-up stuff i think eugene merman or no you know uh, no it wasn't eugene it was uh there's a guy named lucian hold who was uh the the booker at this club in new york called the comic strip he's passed away but he was he was an interesting character. He was very honest and uh, brutally so. Some people, <laughs> you know. And uh, I remember early on when I was it was I was been doing stand up for a couple of years and you know I hadn't gotten on a late late night show yet. Or, and I was like, oh, do you think I should take? And I, I I called Lucian. And I was like, hey, I want you to watch my set. I think I've gotten better, and I want you to see it. And and I want to make a tape, and I want you to tell me what you think. And this is after I'd been, like, passed or whatever, where he'd, like, seen me and said I could work at the club maybe, like, a year or so after that. So I do the set, and uh, I'm like, so what do you think? And he's like, yeah, you're definitely getting better. It's coming along. Good job. And I was like, okay, so do you think I should, like, send this to, like, a manager or, you know, should I try to send this to the late night show or whatever? And he's like, he just said, don't worry about any of that. Just keep doing your shows. Keep getting better. Everything else will take care of itself. And I was like, okay. And he was totally right. That's the only advice you need to know. You know, I remember starting off and just seeing all these comics, like, that would just be worried about, like, headshots and all this stuff. And it's just like, no one wants to see a photo of your stupid head. <laughs> your jokes are horrible. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but if they, need to, if they need to envision me, like, as a sea captain or envision me as, like, a, a tennis player. Have you ever seen uh, Patrick Borelli's book, Holy Headshot? No! God, this is a collection of just, like, the best headshots it's really funny and when we did human giant we would get these headshots where what what chris is talking about is like so a guy would have a headshot where he would maybe have four panels four panels and there'd be like one where he's like as a firefighter then another one he's dressed as a policeman then one where he's just a in priest. case you couldn't and picture then, it yeah. just in case you couldn't picture it and it's so hilarious and patrick borelli uh really funny guy he, he uh he writes on fallon yeah, yeah. yeah he made a book called holy headshot where he compiled all these headshots. And I remember, like, me and uh, Jason Wollner from Human Giant, we, we were really obsessed with these silly headshots. And we asked him, like, oh, what, do you know about Pete so-and-so? And he's like, got him already. He's the cover of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, um, I have an old, a couple of old issues of, um, there was this magazine. Well, it was, a, it was a booklet that would come out quarterly in 
um, in LA and New York called Faces International. Mm-hmm. And Faces International was basically um, it felt a little scammy, but basically they would get actors and they would charge them, and the actors would basically pay to be in this book that went out to oh, okay. this quote unquote that went out to the studio. Yeah, you know, yeah, there yeah. was the industry, you know. But it really was sort of like that. Who's who, of, who's who of high school kids where your parents pay just to get you in a book? Oh, yeah, yeah, And there's yeah. not really any achievement other than that they paid to get you in the God, book. God, yeah, I forgot about who's yeah. who among high school Yeah, Americans. exactly, yeah. And so, uh, and so this was that, for, but for actors. And, uh, and so I, I think I found a couple at, like, the Rose Bowl flea market. So mm-hmm. I bought them, and they're fucking amazing. And they're all from the late 80s, and there's not a shred of irony in any of it. Like, everyone's wow. super serious. And, I, and it's funny, but then I feel really bad at the same time because I just it, – it's just sort of a mirror of the, my, the, my own desperation of like deep down that I feel because I can see they just want it so bad. Yeah. But the worst part is that there's a kids section and it's just – Oh, you, you know I love kids headshots. <laughs> Whoa, from, hey, what now? <laughs> from, from, we did a sketch on Human Giant oh, called Shutterbugs. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, right. that's right, the Human Giants. <laughs> yeah, which is basically based on us finding some silly kids headshots. <laughs> but some of them are like – I hate to say it, some of them are like um, inappropriately sexy poses. Oh, yeah, nowadays? Kids. Oh, I yeah. bet now that, that's, that's probably become a problem. It's yeah. so gross. But it's still it's so it's all the pageant, pageant culture and stuff. But it is, it is pretty amazing to me like how, I mean, the internet essentially made everyone famous, but it's still, you know, it doesn't seem to be enough. Like, everyone's still, I think, you know, what drives so much of it, what drives, you know, what to a certain degree, getting recognition or finding significance drives us professionally. But then online, you know, people I, you get trolled all the time and you go, oh, this guy just wants some type of recognition or significance and he's misbehaving to just try to get it. I always wonder what it would be like if I grew up with that because I grew up in a small town in South Carolina and you felt so isolated from the world. Everything else seems so, so much cooler. And now with the Internet you're kind of part of this one big community. So you can be a kid making a video in, you know, McCall, South Carolina, and someone, the coolest person in New York, could see it. Yeah. You know? I I think it's kind of a cool thing in that, you know, it gives people a voice who may normally would not have been able to be heard. I think the good things outweigh the bad things, but I do think that we are so obsessed with... I mean, I'm saying this as a performer who clearly... wants recognition because why would I fucking do what I do all the time yeah. if I wasn't sort of fed by that yeah, or wasn't of course, driven by that. Yeah. But I just, you know, I always kind of have to check myself and make sure like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to make sure that I'm doing this because I love it and not because I just need people to tell me that I'm awesome, you know, because yeah. it's, it's such a dangerous slope to go down. I was talking to a, uh, a kid who was like a younger comic. Um, a few months ago, and he was telling me he was telling me something like he's like, hey man, like, uh, what do you do about your like Twitter page? Like, someone was telling me I need to have like more stuff on my Twitter. I was like, who fucking cares about your Twitter, man? <laughs> just, your joke's really good. Just worry about that. I, I, I gave him that advice. The worst said, listen, like, yeah, 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 just like just just do your jokes. Everything else will fall into place. Like, I don't fucking do my Twitter. Like, I never post anything. Like, if something inspires me and I do think it's funny, like I'll tweet it. But I don't ever sit down and go, all right, well, I need to have at least like five funny tweets, you know. And and, and I saw like one time. I was checking the Twitter and like someone said like you're never funny on Twitter it's like 
Yeah, man, because I'm focused on real <laughs> shit that's going to last. Like, what, what do I want to do? Like, write a funny, like, Twitter joke? Or do I want to have a new hour of material that I'm really <laughs> right. proud of, that I can tour and, and put out as a special that's a lasting document of, of, of my comedic output? Well, it is. It, it's... It's I, for for whatever reason the advice is never uh, sexy to people when you say just focus. Be on your patient. Craft. <laughs> yeah, be patient or just focus on your craft and just yeah. get better at what you do. It's like no, 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 no. I know, but and then what else should yeah. I? do? no, no. no just get good. Just get good. If you're good, if you get good, that's yeah. That's you know Steve Martin's uh, quote. You know, be undeniably good. Yeah. Oh, that fucking book. Yeah. I feel like that's a. I feel like that's a book I should read. The Born Standing Up book is something I should read every couple of years. Yeah. Just yeah. Oh, yeah. I need to read it again. So great. But yeah, that's interesting. I remember like when I used to have a Facebook page. I, I used to have a Facebook thing where people could send messages, and some every now and then someone would send a message like, "Hey, you know, I'm really funny. You should watch this. You know, blah blah blah." And you know, they were always not not great. And at a certain point, you have to think like, "All right, person, like." Think about every comedian that you respect and that's famous. Like, if you go back and look at their biography or whatever, there's never been one thing where someone's been like, "When and then I just emailed Ben Stiller and he said I'm good <laughs> and it's done." <laughs> but I feel like I understand why they. I understand why they. Tr- I mean, I understand. I mean, I know when I when I was a when I was a younger performer, I I had that thought too because, you know, like the people who are doing the thing that you want, they just sort of, they just sort of radiate. There's just like this, 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 this radius of heat that they. It's like that's what I want. That's that thing. They have that thing that I want. Yeah. So if I get near that, I'll probably get that thing. It'll rub off. I'll probably yeah. get that thing. You know. Yeah. But it doesn't really. No, it's hard to be in a place where you where you're certain that you're better than you're getting credit for. That's a that's a hard feeling to have. But I think the way to get out of that is. To not get angry and bitter and try to shove it on other people, it's to just quietly keep doing your thing and just use that energy to just, if you feel like you're doing work that's better, do even better work to where it's like the noise you're making can't be denied and and then you'll get noticed. But if you become that kind of, and, and with comics you see it more than anyone, like, you know, there's always, you know, like a little, like I talked to Pete Holmes about this, like there's always like this little group of comics who will just sit in a corner and be bitter that other people are getting this or that. And that nothing ever happens to those guys. Those, well, those bitter guys, they just stay bitter and they kind of go away. Yeah, there's the people some... that end up kind of pushing through are people that just do great work that eventually people are like, holy shit, man, that stuff's really great. This guy, I've never, you know, this person, I've never looked at their stuff in this way. They're doing great work. Cool. And then, mm-hmm. and then they end up getting stuff. My experience with, because there are a lot of people that you go, fuck, man, that, that dude or that, or that lady are, are super funny. Mm-hmm. But they're not more like what? Ha- like why aren't they? You know? And then something happens where you kind of catch a little glimpse into how they are, or how they deal with people, or how they work, or it's like, oh, they were supposed to be at this thing and they were late, or they oh, didn't well, give a shit. Oh, that's another thing. And then you know, and then you go, oh man, they're the they're fucking they're they're the problem. They don't even know it. They just mm-hmm. think no one appreciates them, but they're they are actually creating the problem, and they don't even realize it. Yeah, I think to like make it in any kind of artistic field like this, I think you have to be. Incredibly talented, incredibly lucky, and incredibly smart. If you, and you nice. Have to have all, you have yeah, to and incredibly cool nice. Yeah, you had to be cool. And 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 the more talented you are, the less luck and smarts you need. But if you have all that stuff, I think you have an okay shot. But if you're maybe. if you're a fucking douchebag, it doesn't matter. Like sooner or later, people yeah. will be like, you know what? I don't think no, we really I remember work when with we were guy. yeah when we were doing Human Giant stuff. There would be a casting thing, and then you know, I'd be like, all right, who should we get? And she's like. 
Man, that guy's a fucking dick. <laughs> let's, let's not work with him. And pretty Enough much people do that, and it fucks and, and it's also like, oh, once you start like getting up in 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 whatever your field is, and you realize like, oh man, everyone's like pretty fucking nice and cool. Like, is it a coincidence that like you know? Amy Poehler is the coolest, nicest person. Will Ferrell, like, the nicest fucking yeah. dude. Like, is that real? At a certain point, it's like, oh, man, that is a part of this, you know? Like, you have to be a nice person that people want to work with. Because what happens is, like, when you get to a certain point, you can't just do it by yourself. You need to have a whole team of people and, like, have a, a group of people that that's supporting you to work on stuff. You know, if you're Amy on Parks, it's like, okay, you have the whole cast. You have all the writers, producers, like everyone's working on this show that she's starring in and she's so cool and everyone's happy to do it and everyone's proud of her and the show and everything. If she was a monster, it would be a totally different experience. No one would fucking care. They'd be like, I don't want to give a shit about Parks and Rec. Who cares? Well, yeah, because, I mean... she's so cool and it's such a cool project, you get behind it. and And I think that, again, goes back to the idea of when people just... When they... When the thing that they're focused on is their craft and not all the other stuff then there's a whole layer of insecurities and stuff that just doesn't get in the way and they don't they're not dicks. Yeah. It's like, oh I just want the work to be good and not is everyone looking at me? I just want to make sure everyone's like, am I yeah. getting the funny lines? I mean just make sure I get the funny lines. You know, yeah, like that's the other that thing. Shit. Just make great stuff. Like I, I remember when Parks there was a season where they cut our order and we got pushed to mid season. So they cut like a bunch of our episodes and it was a real bummer. And I remember Mike Sure just said something Mike Sure's our executive producer. He just said, You know what guys? Let's not have sour grapes about this. Let's just make a really funny show, and everything else will take care of itself. And that's how it worked out. We were on, like, our sixth season, you know? And, I mean, I guess it's just another variation it's of the what best, It's the best advice. advice it really yeah. is the best advice because it, it's so easy to get caught up in the other things of, you know, what's I – mean, I mean, you know, we're sort of going through it with – I'm sort of going through it a little bit with this Comedy Central show because the show's been going great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still that little piece of me that's like – Oh my god, are we getting to do more? I don't know if we're gonna get to do more. What if we don't get you know? I'm like, well, fucking just yeah. enjoy the goddamn ones that you're doing, yeah. and don't worry about that other stuff, you know. Yeah. It's, it, but it's so easy because it's so easy to fall into that because uh, essentially, you know, we're freelancers to a degree, and we don't, you know, any and any any of us that have had a period of time where it's like, yeah, the uh, the, the the lake is dried up. This no, it is, gets scary uh, when you start thinking not about fertile soil. <laughs> it gets scary if you start thinking about it long term because it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm making a great living now. I'm doing yeah. stand up and stuff, but it's like I'm only 30 years old. I have a lot more years to, to <laughs> well, be that's on right. Earth. You're only 32, so you got <laughs> fucking like, shit tons what? of time. I, I got to keep touring till I'm dead. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that going to be soon? Am I going to die soon? <laughs> well, that's why I always love that. Uh, I always love Louis' awareness about how the comedy works. And it was in an interview, and someone was like. You know, you're the biggest comic touring, and he goes, "Yeah, right now." You know, because yeah. this whole thing is like, I don't fucking know. You know, yeah, I'm, totally. Yeah, right now, thousands of people will come and find announce a show at a theater. But you in know, two years, no one could give a shit. You know that as a comic, <laughs> sooner or later, people are like, "We get it." You know, like sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, that's it, what. That's another reason. It's like, okay, that's another reason you have to evolve what you do. You know, like, okay, so buried alive. I was like, all right, well, let me do something different than the other specials. You know, if I can't, like, it's really if I there's, I'm sure there's people that are fans of mine that saw the new special and they're like, what? No, no Harris, no, you know, rapper <laughs> things or anything. It's like, well, you know what? I think that's what you'd like in 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 theory. But I think if I kept doing that, you'd be like, all right, enough about your. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It doesn't matter. What you know? you, do. you have to keep be... those are like. I mean, you look at like 
you know, the Beastie Boys. Like, okay, they just kept changing. Every time you thought you could pin down what they're doing, they just kept changing, or Radiohead or whoever. Like, those are the most interesting artists, right? Yeah. You know, even you'd look at, like, you, you know, comics or whoever. Everyone that dis, that are everyone that's really great kind of tends to evolve what they do. Well, but while I, still maintaining an essence that's them. And again, going back to the theme of focusing on the craft, it's because there's a certain... You could go in a direction and then just by whatever sort of accident of culture that happens, the audience does not go with you. We're like, That's oh, the risk. that was way too hard of a right turn for us. That's the risk. But with comics, since you're working on material in clubs or whatever, you can tell, like, oh, this is working. People are still on board. Yeah. Like, if you did, like, if I was like, oh, I'm just going to do, you know, I wouldn't do this. I'm, I don't think this is my skill set. But if I was like, you know, I'm just going to become, like, a one-liner guy. I'm just going to do one-liners like, you know, Jesselnik or, you know, whatever. If I started doing them and they didn't work, which they probably wouldn't, <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy, um, I would be like, oh, well, this is not the turn I need to make. Right. You know, that that's the not- luxury of, of being a comedian. Whereas, like, a musician could, like, you know, be this guy who decides I'm going to do a country album. And then everyone's like, this sucks. You right. Know? And then it's hard to go back. Oh, no, no, I was kidding. I didn't yeah. mean that. I'm, oh, I'll go back to do the other. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. go do Hootie the Blowfish again. <laughs> cut, I don't know. Cut, I just assume you were talking about Darius Rucker. Cut, 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 uh, cut to me in two years promoting my next special, New Stories About Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Randy's uh, back. Randy and Harris. No. <laughs> Randy, Harris, rappers, what do you need, guys? <laughs> do you want me to make that face? <laughs> 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 I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. But I mean, in theory, in theory, you know, in theory, you will always have your brain. You will always be able to put, you know, and as a person, you will constantly have new experiences. You should be able to, in theory, put yes. those experiences into you grow, your machine. Yes, exactly. And create new comedy in the future. But I think, you know, I don't know. I think it, it, it's just such a, it's such a, it's it's such a career, a skill set of kind of being hungry and putting yourself out there at a certain point, I don't think it's that comics necessarily get unfunny as they get older. I think they're just kind of like, they just sort of lose a little bit of the fire, and they're like, eh, they, I don't fucking give a shit what people think anymore. Yeah, you know, I always try to take a, uh, you know, even though I, uh, you know, it seems like I don't really take a break from doing stand-up, I do kind of try to force myself to just like, you know, sometimes I'll hit a block in writing and I'll be like, I just need to not do any sets and just let some shit happen to me. Like, just live a little bit and have some experiences, you know? Um, like, in Buried Alive, like, there's a lot of material about, like, how frustrating it is, like, going out and trying to meet people while you're going out and the type of people you meet going out. Well, how does that material come out? That comes from going out in New York <laughs> and being frustrated, right? right? That doesn't come from working nonstop. You know, you have to have some experiences that people can relate to Otherwise, you're what you're just gonna do bits about like, oh man, you hate it when you leave the comedy club and you've left your headphones and you want to listen to your set because you improvised something and then now you're like trying to remember what you improvised. How many people have been in the writers' room in the last week? Yeah, oh, you have to just, you have, to have some shit me. happen to you. It's just me in the writers' room this week. Well, yeah. it's important to I I, I took a, um, a, a, a not that I ever thought like I'm gonna be a screenwriter, but just for the fuck of it, like. 13 or 14 years ago, I took this story structure class for screenwriting. Oh, you know, I'm not doing anything else. I'll mm-hmm. just do this for a weekend. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the the guy is a guy named Robert McKee, and he said something that was... Oh, yeah, that's a, from yeah, Adaptation. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah, exactly. Story by Robert story, McKee. Story by Robert yeah, McKee, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, he, he said something that, when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, it's, it was so simple. But he was like, listen, if the well is empty, 
Go read a fucking book that you've never thought to read before. Just go do, just put something. Do things, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, it's just like short circuit, input, need yeah. input. So uh, <laughs> it, it, it really, like I said, in theory, you should always be able to at least do that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's an infinite number of experiences in life that you haven't had. <laughs> like if you, if you decided to, I don't know, just, you just, oh, you know, I'm just going to read this book about horticulture. It, your brain would take bits of that and process it in some way, and it would, it would color the set that you're doing just by virtue of the fact that you put something new in your yeah. brain. But I feel like so rarely do I ever go, I'm going to sit down and read that horticulture book. I, I never yeah, do yeah. that. Where do you find the energy and how do you balance it all out? Uh, I mean, for me, I just find um, for this new hour, the one that's the, not oh – God, it's very confusing. I, I'm just going to call that new hour. I'm, I'm not sure this will be the title, but we'll just say it's called Modern Romance. Okay. So the, the one that's about modern romance, that one, I, I started reading these, these books and, and, and scientific articles about uh, – so – Reading like research about uh, ideas that relate to something as simple as dating. So, for example, uh, one of the bits in the in in the modern romance show is about like, wow, well, does this choice that we have in dating and relationships is it overwhelm us? Is it bad for us? Because right now we have more choice than any era of single people ever. And that's actually very stressful. Yeah, because there's so much choice. So then I found this book called uh, The Paradox of Choice. Uh, it's by this guy Barry Schwartz, who's this academic. And it talked about how, oh, you know, more choice is uh, tough. You know, they find when you have more choice, you're less satisfied. And, and there's a study where he, uh, where I don't think he did the study, but someone did a study where you take a guy and you give him three chocolates. They go, pick your favorite chocolate. He eats all three chocolates. He picks his favorite. And they go, how much you like it? He's like, I love it. This is great. Then you go and you get another group and you give them 30 chocolates. You go, eat all the chocolates, pick your favorite one. They eat all 30 chocolates. They pick their favorite. How much you like it? And they're like, oh, it's good. It's pretty good. I mean, um. I like some of the other chocolates too, but uh, yeah, fuck. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's how choice relates. So it's like, oh, that to me applies to relationships. So that's an interesting starting point to write a joke for me. And so I consume things like that Barry Schwartz book or reading articles like uh, the, the, there's this woman, Sherry Turkle, that writes a lot about kind of technology and how it changes how we interact with each other and in 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 her uh in her book she talks there's a section about how um younger people aren't good at conversation because they're used to communication mediums like texting or facebook chat where you have a second to gather your thoughts edit what you're going to say and and you have time right so they can't have conversations on the fly that part of their brain isn't as developed (laughs) and so i read that and i was like oh well that's interesting to me because i've been talking about dating and how you know guys don't call as much and why guys don't call as much and that's why it's because that part of the brain for younger dudes especially is very undeveloped so they're horrible at phone they don't know what to say yeah so whereas like people our age you know back then you didn't have the option of a text or facebook you didn't have that option where you got to edit and think and whatever so we had to call but we would get better at it eventually over time but younger people they don't call anybody their friends or anyone and they have that option and they're always using that option so they're just gonna stay underdeveloped in that part of their brain well not only that but just just the idea going back to the idea of of choices and you know it's very stressful for a human being to feel like they've made the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And so the more choices you have, the more you think you're fucking up 
you may get yeah. one thing, but you've maybe fucked up 29 of those chocolates. And you're like, shit. Yeah. It's like you said. And so I think the generation, like our grandparents and our great-grandparents, it's like, you know, my great-grandparents were married for 72 years. Wow. And you know, when I think back, it's probably like, well, you know, they came from these villages in Italy you know, like maybe who knows what their choices were were like, and it's just sort of like that's you super do fascinating one, one person, and that's it. You know, yeah. like you don't fucking get, you know, like I mean, they basically married when they were teenagers because they didn't have adolescence. At there was the turn no of the 20th your, century. Yeah, that's your grandma. Yeah, grandma? my great grand, my great grandparents. So yeah, yeah, your great grandma when she was out with your great grandpa on a Friday night wasn't getting texts from ten other guys. Then <laughs> hey, what are you doing tonight? What's up? How are you? You looked really good the other day when you were eating pasta. I got stuff. When you're eating, pretty good when you're eating pasta, <laughs> you fucking but pasta that, eaters. So that to me is a, a way to kind of gather interesting ideas. Basically, kind of taking these very smart people's ideas and applying to them, uh, applying them to whatever I'm talking about. And another thing that's been super interesting for me is just talking to audience members and just asking them about their experiences in life. So when I was writing Barrett Alive, I've never done online dating. I, I couldn't really do it. I think if you're a public person, you'll you get murdered eventually. <laughs> so I've never done it. But I would just talk to audience members about their experiences, and I would use those to kind of uh, inform my perspective. And so in the new hour, uh, the Modern Romance Hour, there's a section about divorce, and I've been talking to people about their divorces and it's super interesting because you can just ask these people like very personal questions on stage and they'll just answer you they'll just tell you things and you learn a lot because everyone's life story and experience is super interesting like asking someone like okay so when you married that first person like what, what, what was that like how did you feel you know did you feel like you were madly in love did you have doubts i had doubts shit what kind of doubts did you have that's like a super interesting question that maybe someone's never even gonna get asked that's such a personal thing like i did that and an audience and a friend of mine saw it and he's like he's like man my dad's divorced and i have no clue how he felt when he got married and if he had doubts and what kind of doubts are and you know that about this dude who was just sitting in a comedy yeah. club i love I, I do the same thing i, I talk to the audience a lot because they will in a moment when they're put on the spot just say stuff that they would no normally not tell that anyone you just learn. I learned that. I listen to a lot of uh, Howard Stern's interviews, and you just. I, I think I just kind of somehow learned how he does that, where it's just you just ask it like it's a very normal thing and, and are conversational, and, and, and people are just. Well, at a comedy show, talk. people's defense, hopefully, people's defenses are down. I, I feel like I was. I think I, was, I did a show not that long ago, and there were two dudes at a table at the front, and I was talking about. Um, I was talking about. I was just fascinated by the concept of the fleshlight. Just this like portable vagina that's in a Wait, flashlight, what's a flashlight casing. It's a vagina in a flashlight casing, so it's disguised, so no one knows. Like, oh, you oh. fucked that thing. Wait, um, you put your dick like in the flashlight. You put your dick in the flashlight, yeah. Whoa. And there's like a vagina. And it feels there's, like a vagina. I've never put my dick. I would tell you if I had. I, I, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't done it. But I'm just fascinated by the idea of like, oh. And it's so like some guy said he had one. Well, uh, one one guy admitted that he had one. And then the other guy, uh, and I was kind of joking with his other, with his buddy, is like his roommate or whatever. Like, oh, you you fucked his you fucked his flashlight for it. And the roommate was like, yeah, but I didn't tell him about it. And he was like, what? Like he just totally like, just in that moment, he just he blurted it out, Whoa. you know. And his his roommate was finding out for the first time. He was like, he goes, well, I washed it before I put it back. Oh God, so gross. <laughs> so, 
I hope he washed before he used it and afterwards. Shared flashlight is not a those those are those are bad. Seems like you could just too, buy his own or just or just jerk off. There's <laughs> so many other well, options. Well, you know, here. I want to do try before you buy. You know, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I don't know if I want to invest in this. You know, it's sort of like iTunes. I try it out for a minute and then I decide if I'm going to download it. Does it also work as a flashlight as well? <laughs> no, it does not work as a. <laughs> so, it's a very so bad like, flashlight. So it's like a. It's like the apocalypse. You're like, I got my flash. No, no! wrong flashlight. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe it's all right that it's dark. <laughs> Maybe it's all right. <laughs> Maybe it's all right. Took care of another problem. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It is just like talking to people in the audience, and 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 I I love how open I love how open people, especially if they're familiar with you. Um, you know, it's like they're telling a guy that they see on TV, Aziz. Oh my God! I, yeah, I, we, we kind of bonded because we had this this special moment, and then you will always remember that guy. Like ten years could go by, and the guy yeah. be like, "I'm the guy that fucked my friend's fire." Be like, "Oh my God, how have you been? Yeah, what yeah, is, where have yeah. you been?" You do form these weird bonds with people. Yeah, in in Buried Alive, there's a chunk where I interview people about their. Uh, about their wedding proposal, and I remember a lot of the stories, and 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 each show becomes when you have these kind of like interview segments in the shows, it it kind of makes each live show kind of a very unique thing, and 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 I think that's cool to have those moments. So it's fun, it's fun to hear your because we'd never really talked about this stuff before, but you really do, you really do approach stuff very scientifically, which is um, kind of kind of interesting. Well, I, I mean, for this new show, there's been these elements of like, oh, there's cool scientific research that kind of applies to these ideas about relationships and stuff. And uh, and so um, it's kind of applied for this show. And then when I was doing Buried Alive, you know, I was talking about marriage and things like that. It was interesting to kind of read up about what, what real research has been done about marriage and, you know, divorce rates or whatever. Uh, well, we're almost at the end of our... This is it. Oh, yeah, we're over an hour. Are you serious? Oh, brother. Holy shit. Fucking flew by. Um, let's do three more hours. Sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Pete Holmes, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I love Pete. I, you know, Katie produces Pete's podcast. Yeah, yeah. Podcast, and uh, I'd done Pete's, with, and Katie was there. I remember, like, when he we, first started doing it, and I was like, "How was Pete's first podcast?" And you were like. It was like three hours long, and I go, how much are you going to edit? And she was like, he doesn't want to edit it. <laughs> no, that's cool, though. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and, I, and at first, I was like, oh, my God, really? I felt bad for him. I was like, no one's going to listen to three hours. And they fucking, they listen. Like, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's just so much nicer to have, like, a long conversation. I think next time I, do, I have to do radio for something, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll do any radio, but I have to, like, talk to them for an hour. I don't want to talk to someone for, like, two no, minutes. No, 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 you got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and call in the one number, and they just connect you to all the stations know, over the course so, of, like, two hours. Weird. Hey, it's easier for Box of Rack. Uh, what's yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, playing any IT guys? No, please. Please stop it. Please yeah. stop. Um, so the, the special is available uh, Netflix right now. Yep. Uh, Buried Alive. And um, uh, yeah, and then it'll be, you're, when, are you going to put it up on separately on a different? Yeah, in, in like six months, uh, it'll be available on my site for $5. Excellent. If you don't have Netflix. Then you could, well, if, yeah, or if you just want to own it. Or if you want to own it as well. Yeah, yeah. If you want to download it and keep it forever, you can do that. And the watch reason it, you watch it on a plane. Because, yeah, you can watch it on a plane. Watch it when you don't have Wi-Fi. That's right. So that's why you would fucking buy it. Yeah. You jerk. Uh, Aziz, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. The end. Spike. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 
This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law and Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.